0: Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever under the order of Melchizedek." In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard, Because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the reading of the Word.
1: At the beginning of uh, the summer months, we made a, uh, We brought Stephen Duncan on as a, a part-time staff member to help with our youth ministry, and he has been functioning in that capacity for the last several months. And some of you yesterday probably read the article in the Aberdeen News, which announced that Stephen is going to make a shift from that part-time position to a full-time position on staff here at Richland uh, reason we didn't announce that earlier is because we weren't exactly sure when the time of that was going to happen and the the framework of how it would work out. Stephen has been working uh, for the uh, Catholic Church in Ipswich as a maintenance person there for uh, several years here now and needed to give them notice that this transition would happen and so gave them notice and uh, And then we realized the next Sunday they put it in their bulletin that he had given notice. And so some of you from the Ipswich community may have gotten some wind that this was happening because in that statement that they made that he was going to go on staff full-time in youth ministry capacity, but that was the first inkling of it coming out. And then just this week, we we found that because they needed to replace Stephen, uh, it's going to happen a bit sooner than we thought. Um, we told Stephen, if you give them notice and you are without employment, we'll move up the date of, of your coming on here. And so uh, as of uh, a couple of weeks from, I think, yesterday or so, Stephen will come on probably the last week of of this particular month he'll take uh, on some more hours in a full-time basis be on staff here so we wanted you to know that and maybe your curiosity got perked a little as you read that article in the paper this week concerning the church this morning what we want to do now is look at this text and uh, from here on out in the book of hebrews it's going to talk a lot about christ as a high priest. And uh, we'll be coming back to this theme again and again and again. We've already talked about it a bit. But one of the things I think is important for us to understand as we work through the book of Hebrews that Christianity fundamentally, Christianity fundamentally is not, not a faith about how you can live a better life. Now, I believe it will help you to live a better life. And uh, the fruit of coming to see Christ for who he is will cause that to happen but it is not fundamentally about that fundamentally Christianity is about how God saves a people how God takes a people who were confirmed in unrighteousness by the first Adam can now be confirmed in righteousness because of the second Adam it really is about how a sinful people can be reconciled to a holy God God who's perfectly holy, how sinful people can be reconciled, brought back together with that holy God. And one of the most merciful things God can do for us and, and, and for anyone is to cause them to begin to be troubled about that issue. Most merciful thing he can do is to trouble you about your alienation from him. The alienation that is caused by sin. Sin the sin that we all have participated in and that comes from Adam. That's what it's about. It's about that reconciliation. And so that's why we have books like Hebrews. Hebrews is about how it is possible to be reconciled and it gives us pictures. Uh, the Old Testament gives us pictures that, that Hebrews, in, in many ways, is, as well as any other New Testament book, takes those pictures and shows us the reality and how it's fulfilled in Christ. And that's really what the Old Testament was about. A few weeks ago, we talked about why did God choose to do it this way? Why did he take 2,000 years and in that 2,000 years to give us a revelation in the Old Testament and particularly in the heart of that revelation, take a nation like Israel and work with them and and establish a tabernacle and establish a temple and all of those pictures well, in fact, because they are pictures. They are pictures and shadows of the real reality, which is Christ. You remember the scripture that we used in that particular time? We said that, that the, the, the uh, Pharisees were, were uh, chastised by Jesus because he said, you search the scriptures and in them you hope to find eternal life. And they point to me and you miss it. That's really what he was saying in that text. All of the Old Testament is to point to Christ the fulfillment, the true reality. Those are just shadows in the Old Testament. And and certainly we can't understand how all of those shadows necessarily, there's some things that are still mysterious in that God is higher than we are and and our minds can't fully get around it. But we can, to, to a large degree, get around and see how those shadows become reality in Christ. And I think as we one day are with Him, even more of those shadows will bright burn brightly in the reality of Christ and we'll see it even more fully but but for now we have the Old Testament to give us those pictures and the danger the danger I think of Christianity or of your your um, following in the faith of Christianity is the people who don't see that the foundation of it is about reconciliation if they don't get that foundation, There's real danger. And I think, in fact, that's why in the book of Hebrews, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, could have been Paul, is taking the Hebrew Christians back to that foundation. He says, you got to go back to the foundation of this. Don't walk away from this because it is fundamentally about how God reconciles you and it centers in the person of Christ. And if you walk away from your confidence and boast... That's dangerous. And so that's what Hebrews is about. Taking them back to that. Taking them back to remind them that's the foundation. It's about reconciliation. And so he will lay out verse by verse and chapter by chapter of, of that picture of reconciliation to us in the scripture. I think of my own story a bit to kind of put it in a context for you why, why I started here this morning. Um, I, for 18 years of my life, had little to do with any kind of Of church or Christianity. I I knew a little bit about it. I remember my mother's Bible and some things like that, but I had very little understanding of Christianity. But one thing I did have a great understanding was my sin. For some reason, God was merciful to me at a very early age to trouble me about my sin. And though I didn't know much about God, I knew that that sin was separating me from him. And I went through lots of exercises to try to bring about reconciliation and ways to appease that gulf that I felt, but none of those satisfied. And so when I was 18 years of age, um, God mercifully began to show me the work of Christ. And, And when I was 18, I went to a concert one evening, my high school auditorium. An invitation was given at that concert for those who would want to embrace Christ, and, and I, I moved out. Part of the reason I moved out then is some of the things God had been doing in my life previous to that, even to get me to that concert. And one of the things that he did is, all of a sudden, my eyes were open to the reality that there was a group of young people in my high school who, when they ask you how you're doing, however they ask it, they really wanted you to tell them. They cared about it. The fact that they would even ask was a, a kind of a rare phenomenon in high school, and you know that if you were there. Um, they cared about other people, and I began to watch them just for a few months previous to that concert, and all of it came together that night when I went to that Youth for Christ concert in that particular high school auditorium, and 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 when the invitation was given to embrace Christ, I responded to that invitation. Now, I, I hope you can understand this illustration, but this is, this is the point I want to make. There were, there were two kind of longings in my life that were going on at the same time. One was the longing of being reconciled to God, and one was that I was kind of a loner in school. I didn't have many friends, and particularly didn't think I really had any friends who cared much about who I was. I've, I've told you the illustration. I remember going to my high school, Um, on a Friday night for a basketball game, and it was a fairly large high school, and you know how the students sat in one section. I literally remember one night going to that high school basketball game, looking up into the crowd, coming in a bit late, thinking, I need to set up there, but I don't know if anybody would want to set with me, and I remember walking out and leaving and not going to that game. I remember that feeling. So there were two longings. There was a longing of reconciliation. There was a longing of just wanting a social group a group that would accept me and bring me in. What I'm grateful for is that that the first longing trumped the second longing. You, you see, if, if Christianity only would have been a means for me to find a social group, if that's all it would have been, maybe a little bit added on to that, maybe some admonition to live a little bit differently and some of those kinds of things. If it had, if it had been that, I realized that once that stuff had happened then you don't have that longing anymore. And the temptation to leave it might have appealed to a greater degree. But the thing that would not let me leave it, even though that need had been met, is because the primary need was reconciliation with a holy God. That's what first started in my life. And I say that to say that the Hebrew people, he he didn't take them back to what a wonderful group it was of Christians that they were with, and so stay true. He took them back to reconciliation. He took them back to the fundamental thing that Christianity is about, how a, holy God may, or how a holy God can reconcile himself to a sinful person. And and here it just gets richer and richer as we go along, fuller and fuller. I want I want again now to just take you to the verse that I already took you to, and, and it's really the key verse of this text. It's in verse 9. I said it, I read it to you already, but it says this, And being made perfect, he, Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. I want to build what I say now really around that verse and just pick it apart a bit and talk about this idea about how Jesus is, in fact, the second Adam who, in fact, accomplishes that reconciliation. And so, and so, it is a wise thing to put your confidence and boast there and never to remove it from there for that reason. Now, first of all, the first thing that it says here is he is the source. And being made perfect, he became the source. The source. Singular. He is the source of eternal salvation. There are multiple sources. We've talked about that a lot. But there's an exclusivity in the claim. And Christianity makes exclusive claims that he is the source. And he is the place that you're to put your confidence and your boast. Now, we'll talk about why it's safe to do that. We'll talk about why like, that's a really wise thing to do because of what he did. But first of all, we just want to make the point that the scripture very clearly says he's the source. The place where your confidence and your boast should rest is in Him. And the inference is, you don't hedge your bets in that. In other words, you don't don't put your confidence here with one leg and your confidence over here with the other leg, hoping that if this one fails you, this one will catch you. That's not the picture it gives. It says... Put all of your weight, the full weight of your hope, the full weight of your boast, the full weight of your confidence in Him alone. It's exclusivity. In fact, in fact, um, God is the ultimate judge of our hearts. And He ultimately decides that that's where our confidence and boast lay. But there's a real danger in Thinking there are multiple places to put it. That is not, that is not what Scripture teaches. It is not particularly what the book of Hebrews teaches. This book will laboriously teach how we can be reconciled to a holy God. And it has to do with the great high priest, the one who was both God and man. Fully God, fully man. We've already gone over that. You can get the tapes. But that is the place. That is the place where all both of our feet need to squarely stand. That needs to be the boast. That needs to be the confidence that we have. So why can we be confident? I mean, that's, that's really what we want to know. Why is that a safe place place to rest? Why shouldn't we hedge our bets in a sense? Why shouldn't we put it in multiple places? Because if one gives way, the other, the, the other will catch us. Well, he just spends a bunch of time saying why this is is the place. This is the source. And he goes on to say, "This source of eternal salvation. It has to do with the eternal part of that salvation. It doesn't just say, and he is the source of salvation, but eternal salvation. This goes back to the high priest idea. This goes back to the fact that Jesus is the high priest of all high priests. We've already said in this series that that Jesus was not only the high priest... And the picture of the Old Testament, remember, was the high priest who went in once a year and put sacrifice on the Holy of Holies in the temple, which was a picture of the true high priest, Christ. You see, but one of the things we said about that high priest, that picture of what was coming in the great high priest, Jesus, was that this priest was not eternal. In fact, this priest would die and another would have to be raised up, and another would have to be raised up. There was not an eternal sense of this high priest. It had to be done again and again and again and again by various high priests through the years. The difference is Jesus is an eternal high priest, and that's what this text is talking about. There's a big word in there, uh, Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a character in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but you only see it referenced three different times in three different passages of Scripture. And the inference of why here will we'll later come in chapter 7 to talk more about Melchizedek and that high priest or that priest of God. But for now, just, just hear me that one of the reasons it's brought up here, and we'll, we'll amplify it later, is because it was picturing an, a priest who would live forever. It was picturing Christ an eternal priest. You see it there in verse 6 where it says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now let me just give you a brief synopsis of Melchizedek which we'll go into at length later. But he appears in two different places in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament and once in the New. The two places in the Old Testament are in Genesis 14, 8 where he encounters Abraham and then in Psalm one ten four, which is this reference here in Hebrews. That comes out of, of uh, Psalm 1104, which is a reference to Melchizedek. And then the third time he appears is in the book of Hebrews as Melchizedek. What we know about Melchizedek is this that he was a priest of the most high God. It tells you that in Genesis chapter 14 that he was the priest of the most high God. And he came and encountered Abraham after Abraham was coming back from a battle. Abraham is coming back from a battle. He encounters Melchizedek, who it says is the priest of the Most High God. And Abraham gives a tenth of his spoils to Melchizedek. He ties to Melchizedek, the priest. That's what we read in Genesis chapter 14. Now, get get some timing here a little bit. You see, Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God before the priesthood had been established. This is some Jewish history, some some history of the people of Israel. The the priesthood was established after that fact. The, The priesthood that would come through Aaron and the Levite tribe, you had to be of the tribe of Levi to be a priest. Aaron was the high priest that it talks about in Scripture. But all of that was established after Melchizedek. And so Melchizedek came before that priesthood was established. And the inference is is the fact that he supersedes that priesthood, that priesthood that it talked about as the children of Israel. And there are lots of ramifications of that, but one of those is the inference that that the priesthood that he was picturing, certainly Aaron's priesthood and the Levi priesthood was a picture, but this was even a bigger picture of this true reality of Jesus Christ being the true high priest, in that it was an eternal priesthood. One of the things we don't know anything about Melchizedek. we don't have any lineage. We don't know who his father and mother were. We don't know any of that. One of the things in, in the tribe of Levi, lineage was incredibly important. But for Melchizedek, nothing's told. Nobody's told where he comes from, where he goes to. And the inference again is a picture of eternity. Um, here it says in verse 6, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, Melchizedek is a picture of a greater picture of the true high priest, and it, that high priest has an eternal priesthood. Now you may think, what does that have to do with any of it? I think it's incredibly important that's an eternal priesthood. The high priest we have is not going to die. He's, he's not going to be without a job. He, he's he's going to go on forever. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father forever as our great High priest. There's no end to his priesthood. There's no end. And therefore, he is a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. His advocacy for us never ends. It never ends. He is constantly advocating to the Father about the work that he accomplished. And he will go on doing that throughout eternity. Well, let me go on in this text. It says... The source of eternal, a reference to Melchizedek, and we'll talk more about him later, salvation. That's what he was. But what qualified him to be that? Why was he the source of eternal salvation? There's a, there's a couple of words just previous in this text that are incredibly Powerful. I want you to look at them in verse 7. It says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And just these words He was heard. It would do us no good to have an eternal high priest if he didn't have the ear of God the Father. This priest was heard. And he will go on being heard through all eternity. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is talk about why and, and what did God hear. I think there are different levels of what God heard. But the first level of what he heard was, I think, the, the, the prayers of Jesus that, that Jesus would not fail. Fail. In other words remember how we started the first Adam was confirmed in the unrighteousness he he failed he didn't live perfectly i said to you the theologian would tell us if if Adam had passed the test the first Adam there would have been no need of the second Adam because mankind would have been confirmed in righteousness but he didn't he failed first Adam failed the second Adam comes and so part of what what is heard is Jesus literally being heard when he's in the crucible of suffering. And what he is praying is, don't let me fail. Don't let me give in to sin. Don't let me sin as the first Adam did. That's, that's the gist of what was heard, the literal cries of Jesus because it says, in the days of his flesh. In the days of it, what days? The days in Gethsemane? Certainly we read, we read a prayer there he talks about. I don't, I don't think so. I think it's all the days of his flesh. Every day of his flesh. Every day of his 30 or so years of ministry on this earth. Every day that he would not sin. Now certainly I think as he, he grew in understanding and grew in age, that those, those prayers became intense there. In the days of his flesh. Because Jesus knew the stakes. You see, this is what Christianity is about. It's about a first Adam who failed. It's about a second Adam who came. And and he went through the crucible of suffering. He went through the test that the first Adam went. And all through that test, in the days of his flesh, he's crying out to God, the Father, that he would perfectly do his will. That he would not fail in it in the days of his flesh, in the lifetime warfare with sin, because that's what it was for Jesus. A lifetime of warfare with sin that he wouldn't give in. He fought against a death worse than death. The second death that Adam experienced of separation, being cast out of the garden. He fought against that. He fought against um, giving in to sin. He fought for persevering purity that he would persevere in purity and would not fail the test. And the scripture says he battled and prayed about the battle to learn obedience. Now, don't get that wrong. It's not that Jesus went from disobedience to obedience. If he did, then we, we might as well go home because there's no second Adam to put our confidence and our boast in. It isn't though he was disobedient and learned to be obedient. But that he passed every test of obedience. Every time the test came, he learned more about obedience as he succeeded. And he continually succeeded in all of the tests to live obediently. And the scripture says in verse 9 and being made perfect, he accomplished it. He succeeded. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam succeeded. Many were made sinners and many were made righteous. That's the contrast. Because of his perfection. And that perfection that he accomplished outside of us is a perfection that he's willing to credit to our account, to give to us. Just as sin was credited to us and imputed to us, the biblical term, the theological term from Adam, so righteousness is imputed to us. It comes from outside of us and is given to us. That's what jesus accomplished that's how the father heard him at one level but that's not the only level that's just the first level he heard him as he wrestled against sin and we've talked about this sometimes you you say how how can jesus know uh, one of the points we made a few weeks ago is that he held out completely through the temptation we don't, we are the ones who don't know the full degree of the pressure That's felt because we give in. We give in before the temptation comes to its full fruition. But Jesus never gave in. And so he felt the full brunt of the pressure to give in and to sin. And all through that, he cried out to the Father that he would do his will. And that was to be confirmed in righteousness by not sinning. Well, that's level one. Level two is is uh, the point where it says, again, he was heard. Another level at which he was heard is after he accomplished that, after he was made perfect. Now as he sets as the high priest, the high priest who's gone into heaven. If you look back at verse chapter 4 and verse 14, it says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. This high priest who... When he was on earth, the Father heard his prayers, but now he hears his prayers as he's gone to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And his prayers continue to be heard. His advocacy continues to be heard. And what is heard there is when he tells the Father of what he accomplished, that he tells the Father of those who he has given his perfection to, those who are his people, those he's saving. At times we've made the statement and you want to make sure that you get the full statement out before you stop. But the statement is if you're going to get to heaven, if you're going to be reconciled to God, you need to be perfect. The problem is we've all sinned. The problem is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, we can't live perfectly, but, but it is still true. You will have to be perfect to get to heaven. God can't allow sin into heaven. He's a holy God and we've sinned. So what do we do? That's the bad news. The, the good news is there's another way to accomplish perfection. There's another perfection that literally can be credited to our account. And that's what Jesus reminds the Father of. That, that a certain individual, a certain person who has put their confidence and boast in the, the, the perfection that he's accomplished he's constantly reminding the father that that's the case that they're perfect father because they have my perfection and god hears him i remember i remember early in my christian life there was a there was a statement that that brought me through some hard times times when accusations would come to me even after i had put my boast and my confidence in christ and times when i would i would look at my life and i would see that i wasn't perfect and i would think how can god accept me how can he accept me and and the words that would come back to me were the words that jesus uttered from the cross three words as well it is finished the words that jesus said on the cross that he's finished the work god sent him to do and the work god sent him to do was persevere in purity it's finished father a purity and a perfection has been accomplished. And I know the rest that came over my soul at times when I would try to finish it or think I had obligation to finish it. And I would look away from my inability to finish it to his finishing it. And those words would bring strength to me and help to me and comfort to me. As I was working through this text this week, as I was moving through this text. Those three words that I just said to you, He was heard, sounded to me much like the words, It is finished. He was heard. It's a new mantra for me to declare at times when when the accuser will come to me or the accuser comes to you. To remind yourself that Jesus was heard. He was heard in his attempt to accomplish a perfection, but he was also heard and continues to be heard as he sits at the right hand of the Father and advocates for all those who have put their boast and their confidence in that perfection. You see, that's how he provides an eternal salvation. And the scripture goes on to say that he was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. What's what's that about? What's to all who obey him? What is the obedience of the Christian life? Be careful there. Be careful where you go with that statement. Be careful to take it in the context of the rest of Scripture, particularly Scriptures that are in the first chapter of Romans and the last chapter of Romans, where it talks about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. What is it to obey the gospel? picture of obeying the gospel is seeing what I just told you seeing that Jesus was heard and accomplished a perfection and that Jesus is right now at the right hand of the father reminding the father of that perfection and saying to them whoever has put their confidence and their boast there and there alone whoever looks to me as the source of their salvation based on that reality of what Jesus has accomplished father they're mine they're mine they're mine why is this so important why is this important it's incredibly important people it's incredibly important that you understand that and understand that the foundation of christianity is about reconciliation and you get you get the way that reconciliation takes place right you see it correctly And you put your confidence and your boast in that correct understanding of how that reconciliation happens. And it centers in the source. It centers in the great high priest. It's all about what Jesus has done. And all through the book of Hebrews, we'll just keep saying that. Keep looking at that. Keep resting in that is my prayer. It's important because of one person, what one person said, that will happen to all of us one day and maybe sooner than we think. I... I wasn't going to make reference to this this morning, but it, it, it does fit here as I close. I, and some of you will know this a little bit. It's, it's part of why I think Brian and Gretchen were here praying this morning. Some of you have heard, heard word that, um, I'm losing the last name, Mike uh, Miller. Mike Miller, who, who, if you're a young person, you probably know who Mike is even if you don't know his name. Mike was the face of the athlete's foot. Mike was the face, of the guy who my kids went into for years to buy athletic shoes. But my understanding is, a week ago, Mike was diagnosed with cancer, and then last evening, I mean, he hadn't been, he hadn't had, maybe had some symptoms, but didn't realize he had cancer until a week ago, and passed away last night. Mike was the president of the Aberdeen School Board, so, so Brian Gretchen are, are are close to that relationship, and and Don he. His, uh, one of his associates in his practice, his medical practice, Dr. Miller, is his brother. So it comes that close. But, but the, 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 the idea, that the finiteness of life, it, it reminded me of my illustration talking about being in this pulpit that I realized I can be here on a Sunday and, and I can pass away. My, wife, my family can have a funeral and they can even start to pick up pieces and the next Sunday somebody else will be here. One week's time. But you see, all of us all of us at some point will come to that point in our lives, um, and and one day, except Christ returns, all hell may rage against you at that point. Now, for Mike, I'm not. I don't know how the end was, or lots of people. Some people, you just are gone. You don't have any time. But but as you have time, one day we will all come to to that point, and. Uh, Especially when we're nearing death. And this, this is the kind of stuff that will cry out at us in those times. If you're young, you may have not experience this to the degree, but as you get closer to that time, these kinds of things will come. Um, and, and there will be things like your salvation is not sufficient, your guilt remains, condemnation hangs over your head, the wrath of God is not removed. At that moment, you will need truth about the foundation of your eternal salvation, and one truth that will strengthen your confidence in that hour is the truth that you have no ordinary high priest, but one who has infinite, the infinite dignity of the Son, dignity of the Son of God, and he has therefore become the source of eternal salvation. I mean, that day will come for many of us. And everything will cry to us. And so where do you go? Where do you hide? Where do you put your boast and your confidence? Where do you find it in those times? Where do you find rest? It's in these kinds of truths. It's in truths in the scripture that says, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation who place their confidence and their boast in him, the source. This stuff is incredibly important, people. It's incredibly important. And I hope we have that kind of foundation. That's when you think about reconciliation, those are the kinds of things you think about and what you rest in and where your confidence is and where your boast is. The worship team's going to come this morning and we're going to sing in closing how we began. I think the song that we sang this morning as we began the service fits as well as any where it says man of sorrows. You see he was a man of sorrows and in the midst of that sorrow in that midst of battling against sin and not giving in to sin he was heard by the Father and the Father strengthened him and enabled him to to go to the end perfectly to not only die without sin but to have lived without sin all of his life so that he could be the source of eternal salvation to all who look to him let's sing and be grateful this morning stand with me will you
0: sorrows Lamb of God by his own betrayal the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will. He took a crown of thorns. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation. Is. Made in full by the precious blood that my Jesus built. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, whom the sun sets free, oh, his free. See the storm is roaring We might be
1: tempted in this study in Hebrews to say, well, I just thought it was about Jesus dying for our sin. It is. It is. But I think it's incredibly important in that time that I talked about when all of the accusations come to know why dying for our sins was able to be done, to know exactly what happened, to know what the Father hears and Jesus is at the right hand. I think it's more than just Jesus telling him I died for their sins. He's, he's telling him more and the things that we're talking and looking about in the book of Hebrews. Let me leave you with this now, this doxology. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept hidden for long ages, but has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to bring about people who put their boast and confidence in Christ. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ.